preach today. Let me get this microphone turned on so you can all hear me a little better. I think we got it now. There you go. All right. All right. Every microphone I get from all the churches I go to is a different microphone. So uh, everyone has a different procedure for how you got to turn it on and, and adjust to it. I appreciate the opportunity uh, I have to share with the church that my wife and I call our home church. I'm blessed to be preaching in other churches around our uh, county. Um, I think uh, at least a dozen of them that I've been in <clears throat> since the time we moved here <clears throat> some, uh, some three uh, years ago. Uh, let me get a drink of water here. But there's, <clears throat> there's no church <clears throat> that I would rather preach in than this church. And I know as I get going here, that voice will clear up a little bit. I get the juices flowing. Uh, so I'm glad that I had that opportunity today to do so. And I do want to say a word of appreciation to our pastor and to our deacons for how they have handled this pandemic. This is a brand new territory for any of us. In the 35 years I was a full-time preacher, I've dealt with hurricanes, I've dealt with snowstorms, uh, and other natural uh, disasters that have come along, but never a pandemic. And they did not teach us in seminary how to handle a pandemic. And so we are learning, your pastor is learning, the deacons are learning, and every, every pastor nationwide is learning how to deal with the circumstances we are faced with to do it safely and to continue to conduct ministry uh, that will be a blessing and an encouragement to people. And I'm like you. I miss having our whole church body together. And it's so good to see so many of you today that I have missed in my uh, Bible study class. And I do miss my Bible study class greatly because my wife and I, when we are here, we're here at the later service and not at the early service. So we see some of you folks that uh, uh, do not come to that service but are here today. <clears throat> we have that opportunity to see you today, <clears throat> and we're grateful uh, that we can renew that. My wife, uh, she's been listening to me for 35-plus years. Our 36th anniversary is next month, so she'll be here for the second service. She said, I've heard you before. I, I can hear you some other time. I'll hear you one time on Sunday is enough. So she'll be here for that second service. But I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 is our passage today. And I want us to get our minds off of our problems and our difficulties. I want us to focus completely on who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has provided us through the act of forgiveness he extended to us on that cross at Calvary so many years ago. And in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and if you're able to stand, I want you to stand with me today as we honor the Lord with the preaching of his word. But the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says this, giving thanks to the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, Lord. Your word is a light unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we partake of it today, Lord, I pray that you will give us wisdom. 
I pray, Lord, you will give us encouragement. I pray, Lord, we will receive some positive word today about our walk with you. Life is so tough, but when we come to your word and we see the encouragement it gives us, when we see what Jesus has done for us, Lord, we have nothing to do but give you praise and honor. And I hope today we'll take our mind off of the problems and difficulties of life and focus on the praise and honor we have received from you that you have extended to us, Lord, through the forgiveness of sin, and that as we focus on you today, we will be encouraged to live for you in a greater way from this day moving forward. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I remember a story that was told some time ago about a church, uh, I'm sorry, about a cemetery that was uh, connected to a church uh, in an upstate town in New York. And there was a grave in that cemetery that was inscribed with a tombstone. Uh, There was a tombstone there, and inscribed on that tombstone was just one word. And the one word was forgiven. There is no name of the person who is buried there. There is no date of birth or their death. There is no artwork on the tombstone. There is no epitaph. There is no eulogy. Just that one word forgiven. And I think today that we as believers need to understand that the greatest thing that can be said about any of us is to know that we have been forgiven. When things are going well, it is good to know that we are forgiven. In times of uncertainty, like we're facing them today, it is good to know that we are forgiven. Jesus Christ came to earth in order to forgive people of their sin. He came to do what no one else could do for us and what we could not do for ourselves, and that is forgive us of our sin against God. He came to bring about a right relationship with God. He made sure, he made us certain that we know that when this life is over that we have a home in heaven that we're going to be able to spend eternity with him there. He came to let us know that all lives matter and are important to him. It does not matter what a person's status is. It does not matter what uh, their education is. It doesn't matter what their success in life is. It doesn't matter what their race is. He came to die for each and every person. And the person who puts their faith and trust in him can know that they are forgiven of their sins. Friends, I want to tell you that there are many forces that are at work today that are seeking to negate the need for the forgiveness of sin. Satan is working time and time again. He's working overtime to try to convince people that they do not need forgiveness for sin in any shape, way, or form. Some will say, and you've heard people talk about this as much as I have, they will say, well, there's no such thing as sin, so there's really nothing that needs to be forgiven. Once we die, we are dead, so we ought to get out of life what we can get out of life that pleases us. Now, others are going to say that uh, that an individual's work and efforts are enough to forgive them of their sin. If we can do enough good to balance out the bad in our life, then certainly God will find us acceptable enough to let us into his heaven. And there are still others that will attempt to discredit the ability and the capability of our Lord Jesus to forgive sin. They will say this about Jesus. 
They will say that he was a good man. They will say that he was a good teacher. But beyond that, there was nothing that was special about him. Satan is doing, as I mentioned, every single effort in his arsenal to keep people from finding forgiveness for their sins in Jesus. Now, lest we think that we're the only generation that is dealing with these problems, we need to understand that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was dealing with these same problems as well in his particular day. And his letter to the Colossians, in part, was designed to encourage the Colossians to remember all that they had in Jesus. And certainly what he tells the Colossians back then is information that is important for us and applicable to us today. And I want to share with you today four things that every believer has received from God through Jesus regarding the works of forgiveness for our sin. And as we look through this passage here in Colossians, we're going to point out these four words that the Apostle Paul wrote to them and to us regarding the benefits of forgiveness. Number one is this. The first thing forgiveness does, and this is from the King James Version, is to make us partakers. Okay, verse 12b says that the Father has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now the Greek word here that is translated partakers is the word metakos. And it means simply to share in. To share in the inheritance. Jesus made us to be partakers. We did not earn the ability to be a partaker. We do not deserve to be a partaker. Jesus made us a partaker. And we share in the inheritance of the saints because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And when he did, he accomplished several things for us. He gave us a new spiritual identity. No longer were we slaves to sin, but now we are children of God. No longer are we branches on a separate tree, but we have been grafted in to the true vine, and we are branches of that true vine. No longer are we rejected, but we are accepted in the beloved. And no more are we defeated, but we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We have a future inheritance that involves a home in heaven when we die. And it involves also a ruling with Christ here when he returns to earth for his millennial reign. When we asked Jesus to forgive our sins, he qualified us to receive our share of what 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away and is reserved in heaven for us. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that we are inheritors of all the promises of God, which are too numerous for me to have to mention during this time frame today. And what the saved of Israel have inherited, and what the saints who have preceded us have inherited, is also what we ourselves will inherit when that time in our life comes. We are already, already in the will. We are already grafted into that. 
We just have not received yet the fullness of all that forgiveness has promised to us. So the first thing to remember is that you are a partaker in that inheritance as a believer. The second word is this, is that the forgiveness of sin implies deliverance. If you look at verse 13a, it says that Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, the Greek word translated deliverance is ruhomai, and it means simply to draw out. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, that same word is used in encouraging us to ask to be delivered from evil. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are told that God is able to deliver us from temptation. And the idea is that of a lifeguard who is reaching out to someone who is drowning and pulling that person to themselves. Pastor, it's related to you and you know about my family and I. We lived in Florida for 20 years before we came to Anson County. Uh, people ask me all the time, and pastors already related to that, and said, well, what would persuade you to move from Florida to Anson County? People want to get out of Anson County and move to Florida. I said, well, I'm still trying to answer that question myself. I don't know yet. But the fact of the matter is God brought us here for a reason. We're grateful that he did because we love the country life. And we love uh, the things that the uh, country can give that, that uh, Florida could not provide for us. It's a, I know that this is a stretch, but it's actually a little bit cooler here than it is in Florida. So you can imagine how bad Florida is. Uh, it's less expensive to live. Our taxes are way less than what they were in Florida. Uh, my wife has beautiful soil in which she can grow her plants. I'll talk more about that uh, in the next point coming up. Uh, that she could not grow in the sandy soil of Florida. So there are a lot of benefits to Florida. But one thing if you love, uh, that you can love about Florida is surrounded by water. It's a peninsula. Three sides of it have got water around it. Now, top that is that when we lived in Key West, Florida, the southernmost city of the United States, it's basically out in the middle of the Caribbean Sea, just about. And uh, uh, Key West is surrounded on three sides by water. So we lived in a state that was surrounded on three sides by water, in a city that was surrounded on three sides by water. And because with all this water around, we got to, after a while, getting to know people, we got to meet some lifeguards. People who would go to the beach, and that was their profession. And lifeguards, as I got to know them and talk to them about their, uh, the fascinating uh, opportunities in their job, uh, I asked them, uh, well, what happens when you've got a person who's, who's out there drowning? What do you do to try to rescue them? They said, well, a lot of times we just we go out there and we'll get in their proximity. And we will look at them and we will wait for them to give up their struggle. And once they have given up their struggle and gone limp in the water, that is when we can step in and save them. Because if we were to get involved too quickly, we risk ourselves being overpowered by the drowning person and being pulled under with them. How many of us have heard stories where that's happened? A, a, a person maybe who's not a lifeguard, a regular person. Uh, a citizen going out to save, uh, try to save a, uh, a relative or uh, somebody who's drowning and, and it ends up to two people drown because they get pulled underwater. Well, friends, we need to understand that that is the position that a sinner needs to be in for a spiritual deliverance to occur. We have to see ourselves in utter despair 
unable to save ourselves and in need of outside intervention in order to be saved and to be delivered. One of my favorite hymns, and I know we've sung it here many times, at least in the first service, maybe not as much in the second service, but in the first service, a traditional hymn called Love Lifted Me. And in that hymn, author James Rowe writes this. He says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. How safe am I? Without Jesus, where were we headed? We were headed to the pit of hell, the abyss of the unholy, the dominion of darkness, where Satan and his evil minions rule. We were children of disobedience, entangled in the ropes of our own sin. And we didn't even realize that that was what was happening to us. We were, we were doing our own thing, driven by the lustful desires of our flesh and its pull. And we didn't even realize we were lost and sinking until Jesus did whatever he needed to do in our lives to get our attention that we were sinking. And once he got our attention that we were singing, sinking and we called out to him, And we said, Lord Jesus, save us. And Jesus stepped in and he did exactly that. He stepped in and he saved us. He pulled us out of that miry clay. He set our feet on solid ground. He made it so we no longer had to be slaves to our sinful nature. And the dominion of darkness no longer would have a hold on us. And it no longer has a hold on those whom Jesus has Delivered. Word number three is this. You know, when we're delivered from something, we have to be delivered to something. And the good news here is that Jesus did not deliver us from sin in order to strand us or to leave us or to abandon us. And the third word of forgiveness involves the word translation. Look at verse 13 with me. It goes on to say that we were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Now the Greek word that is uh, translated as translation is the word methastomai, and it means to transplant. Now, all of us have probably been involved in transplanting in some way, shape, or form. I mentioned a little bit earlier, my wife has a, uh, an interest in plants and gardening. She has uh, our whole life, and she has her whole life even before we we met and were married. Uh, some of you who follow uh, Nancy on Facebook have seen pictures of some of the uh, fruits and the vegetables and the things that she grows, tomatoes and, and peppers and the watermelon and, and uh, cucumbers and uh, just all sorts of other things, uh, most of which I eat. I don't eat necessarily all of it because she grows some things I don't like to eat, to be honest with you. 
Uh, but the fact of the matter is most of what she does grow, I do eat. And she has done this our whole life. When you have five kids and you're raising five kids on a preacher's salary, you've got to cut corners wherever you can. And she spent that time uh, when we were in Pennsylvania with a big garden, growing uh, all these things and then putting them up and, and jarring and canning. We just got our electric bill. I said, holy moly. Uh, because of all the time she spent on the stove of doing her jarring and her canning. And she puts all that stuff up. And uh, we eat off of that the entire winter. And even now in the summer with the watermelon and the cantaloupe and the raspberries and strawberries and things like that. But there are times when she's getting these plants started. She will start them in, the small, in a small copper container. She really likes those water ice cups. You ever get the water ice in the grocery store? Luigi's water ice, I think they call it. And you get the water ice and it comes in a plastic cup. And she buys the water ice just to get those cups. Now, I, I eat the water ice, you know, but she, she likes to get the, the cups. And we save the cups and then she can start her plants in there. And then her plants get to a point where they get too big for that cup and she's got to take it out and put it in a bigger pot. And then a bigger pot after that. Finally, it's healthy enough for her to put uh, in, in, a, in the garden or in some other container to where it can grow in the house. That's what we call transplanting. Okay. Most of us know somebody perhaps who has had a transplant of an organ, maybe a kidney or a liver or a heart or a lung. Now, when we lived in Florida... For 20 years, people that don't live there don't always know this, but three out of every four people who live in Florida are not from Florida. 75% of Florida's population are people who have moved from some other state or some other country. And so we were transplants from Pennsylvania to Florida, and now we're transplants from Florida to North Carolina. Transplanted. Now, how does that do and relate to spiritual things? Well, when it comes to spiritual transplants, the forgiveness of sin transplanted us from one place and situation and it placed us in another place and situation. We were slaves to sin and then we were transplanted and now we are free. Our sin had broken our relationship with God. Forgiveness restored that relationship. Our soul's eternal destination used to be hell. Now it is heaven. Doubt and confusion used to rule our lives, but in Jesus we have faith and we have peace. Everything after our translation is better than it was before our translation. Everything is better. He made everything better. Better opportunities, better friends, greater joy and greater peace. And when he delivered us, he transplanted us, granting us citizenship in his heaven. There is a kingdom and an inheritance prepared for us. And all we need do is sincerely ask him to forgive our sin. One final point here I want to bring to you, and it is that this fourth word and the first, fourth work is that of redemption. If you look at verse 14 with me, it says that in the Son we have redemption through His blood. 
Now, the Greek word there is apolytrosis, and it means to buy back, to buy back. Now, there have been many famous kidnappings in history. Uh, the baby of Charles Lindbergh, the son of Frank Sinatra, the heir to the Getty Oil Fortune, that's just to name a few. Now, uh, in each case, when these kidnappings have occurred, the family has paid or attempted to pay a ransom to buy back their family member, to redeem their family member. And I remember a story that was told many years ago, and I still love to tell it today, about a boy who spent many, many weeks carving a boat out of a block of wood. And he finally had put so much time into this boat, it was a beautiful boat. And when he finished it, he finally decided to take it out to a local river to sail it. And on the particular day he chose to do so, the water and the wind were very swift. And pretty soon the boat drifted further than the boy could reach and sailed out of his sight. Very dejected and disappointed, the boy went home. Now one day as he was walking downtown, he happened to pass a store and he looked in the window and there was what he believed to be his boat sitting in the window of the store. So he went in to acquire about it and discovered that someone had brought the proprietor of the store that boat and the proprietor loved it so much he paid a decent sum of money to purchase it. The boy explained the story that the boat was his to the proprietor uh, but the, it fell on deaf ears. The provider said, son, if you want the boat back, you're going to have to buy it back. The boy went home. He broke open his piggy bank and he counted the money and realized he had enough there to buy the boat back. And that's exactly what he did. And as he left that store, clutching that boat to his chest, he said, little boat, you're mine twice. I made you, and now I bought you back. Isn't that what God did for us through Jesus? He made us. Don't believe the slop we hear about science that we came from some slimy pond in a, in a swamp somewhere. He made us. And he made you specifically. There will never be another one of you again, ever. And he made you for a purpose. And that purpose, number one, is to glorify him while you're here. And there may be other purposes in line according to your gifts and your talents and other things he wants you to do. But he made you. And then through Jesus Christ, he brought you back. He paid the ransom that was needed to set us free. And through creation and through redemption, we are his twice. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say that our redemption came not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
He paid a high price for us. And now we belong to him. I'm going to close with this. But we would be remiss to not look at these final four words in this passage that we've read. And those four words are the forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament book of Leviticus prophesies how Jesus would go about doing that. Chapter 16 of Leviticus discusses Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish day of atonement. That is when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make an atonement for the sins of the people. And at verse 21 in that chapter, we read that the priest would lay his hands on a goat, confess over that goat the, the iniquities and the transgressions of the people. And by him doing so, the sins of the people were literally transferred to the goat. And then the goat would be sent away into the desert, carrying the people's sins far away out of their sight. I've been to Israel seven times just recently, this past March. And it's amazing when you go into the southern part of Israel and see the immense expanse of that desert. Israel's a beautiful country. Sea of Galilee, all lush and green with agriculture. You come down to the central part, city of Jerusalem, people as far as you can see, and you go just another ten miles further south, and it's nothing but desert. And this is where the goat got sent out to, never to be seen again. We have a name for that goat. That goat was called the scapegoat. That's a term, of course, we use today. And it's used to describe someone who takes the blame for the mistake of others. Isaiah chapter 3, 53 verses 4 through 8 tells us that a future Savior would take up our iniquities and our sorrows. He would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and that by his wounds or stripes we would be healed. Now that Levitical event was but a picture of a future and a permanent day of atonement that would occur many, many years later on the hill called Calvary outside of Jerusalem around A.D. 33. And it was there that Jesus became our scapegoat. On Jesus were my and our iniquities laid. By his death, he was taken away and cut off from the living. And he was forsaken by God so we could be forgiven. In him we can live in the joy, in the freedom, in the power, and the authority that is available to anybody who will call upon his name to become a child of the living God today and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven tomorrow. Jesus can forgive our sins. But I want you to know this. He does not do it automatically. Baptism. The wonderful thing we believe in as Baptists. That's why we get our name, Baptist, from baptism. The fact of the matter is baptism can't save us. Red Hill Baptist Church is a wonderful church. I'm so happy to be a part of it. But being a member of Red Hill Baptist Church or any church cannot save us. Now those things are good. We ought to be baptized. And if you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. Not sprinkled. 
but immersed all the way under. If we're not a member of the church, we need to be a part of the church. It's an important and a good thing to be a part of the church. Jesus ordained the church. He gave it to us. But those things can't save us. Only Jesus can save. And when we admit to Him that we're sinners, when we believe that He died on the cross for our sins, when we turn away from our sins and confess Him as our Lord and Savior and give our lives to Him, He will save you and He will deliver you and He will forgive you. Now we may never ever be perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. My wife will tell you that. I'm not perfect. And I certainly, like you, have to deal with problems and issues in life. Just because we're believers doesn't mean that we're immune from the problems and difficulties of life. Jesus said the rain will fall on the just and the unjust alike. But in Jesus, I know this. I will always, and you will always be forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, from what we've heard today, I pray that we will be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that we will be positively lifted up to know what a joy and what a blessing we have in your actions extended toward us in coming to earth to be our Savior and our Lord. Father, may we be encouraged today in the midst of the difficulties we're dealing with to know that our time here on this earth is temporary and our problems are temporary and our difficulties and struggles are temporary. But our forgiveness leads to an eternity that is beyond measure and beyond anything we can imagine that is far, far greater than we could ever expect to know here. Help us to reflect on that when times are tough. Help us to always remember that and to be encouraged to live a life that would be pleasing to you with the time you have given us here to do it. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, if you would. We sometimes sing that song, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I accept that you were condemned. I'm alive and well because of Jesus. So today, if you don't know that forgiveness, you can have it. We're going to stand together and sing in closing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. And right where you are, you can bow in prayer and just give your heart and life to Jesus. And you know that forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. And maybe you've never, you've never even extended to yourself. And maybe you're still holding on to things in your own life that uh, Jesus has already covered and God has already forgiven. But if you need to receive Christ today, you can do it right where you are. Admit to Him you're a sinner. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. But whatever God's saying to you, respond to Him in faith. Thank you, brother, for the message today. Let's stand together. You respond as God leads you. Have thine own way, Lord. Mm-hmm.